finds the key, he finds the common ground to preach the gospel to him. He doesn't like water down the gospel. He, he preaches the same gospel. But does anybody know what he does when he's in Athens? He, what he does is he, he, he comes there, and, and, and there are a lot of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They believed in all that stuff. Um, um, and so what he does is he gathers them around, and, and he quotes actually a secular poet. Isn't that crazy? If I get up in front of a group of people, I'm like, look, guys, here's what, here's what, who's a secular artist? Here's what Lil Wayne said in his, in his song. And here, and says so basically what he did. So people are like, oh, no, you have to, you have to go like this. You have to do this step. Then you have to share the gospel. Then you have to lead him in this exact prayer. Here's a note card you can read. And that's fine if that's how you do it. It's about winning souls. However you can do it, however you can find that common ground into their heart is, is okay with me. I love, uh, anybody know who D.L. Moody is? Anybody, he's awesome, and he, he won so many souls of Christ. He was so influential in the, the student volunteer movement out of uh, London and um, out of the United States, and he's just like a, an, an epic guy. He's great. Um, but one time, uh, he, was, he was often criticized for his ways of evangelizing, um, and what he would do, he, he, on Sunday mornings, he would gather kids. He'd ride around in a, uh, in a fire truck, and he'd get kids, and he'd take them to church. And one day, this woman was just, like, sitting over there just heckling him, like, man, look at D.L. Moody. What's he doing? This is totally not right. And so he comes over, and he's like, listen, I, I like the way I do it prefer, opposed to the way that you don't do it. And so she's like, oh, my gosh, you just burnt me. That's terrible. <laughs> and so whatever way you can win a soul do it like that's that's it but we're going to talk today um just about evangelism the joy of it like the joy in evangelism but before that before i begin talking um i'm gonna have a couple of my of the students come up they're gonna share testimonies of what we've seen um in these past two weeks and so for who's who's sharing testimonies angelica come on up all right here's angelica keep it keep it keep it shorter else my name's angelica I'm 19 years old, and this is my fifth year doing Joshua Generation. And so the first 10 days, we do this thing called boot camp. And what you basically do is you, you learn about God. You kn- learn how to protect your fave, apologetics, all that good stuff. But the, um, one of my favorite things is you learn how to go deeper in with your relationship with God. And what I'm going to share is just basically, lately God's been moving in my heart a lot about GTS, where we work with Youth with a Mission. Well, Joshua Generation is part of YWAM in Boston, and they do a DTS, which is Discipleship Training School. And for the past five years that I've done a JG, it's always been on my heart. But my mother, she, my parents are always like, go to college. You know, I'm in college right now. I'm going to go to my second year of college. But they're, okay, <laughs> sorry. So they just, they just wanted me to go to college. They wanted me to have an education because they were scared. They were scared of the missionary life. They were scared if I were to go to overseas, like, I could die, basically. So um, during boot camp, as I was striving for God and trying to seek his face, he just told me to call my mother and, like, tell her, like, I'm doing a DTS. And when I did call her, she, she still said no. But um, I told her to pray. And she, she doesn't pray as much as she should, and that night she did pray, and when she prayed, she called me the next day, and she, well, she texted me, and she's like, call me, like, I have something to tell you, and I called her, and she just full out said that last night when we got off the phone, like, after an hour of bickering, um, she prayed to God, and she's like, God, like, if you need Angelica to do a DTS, like, tell me, give me a sign, and as she was walking to church, she was praying, she was praying to the Lord, and a guy bumped into her. And the back of his shirt said, the Lord needs it. 
So she stopped him, and she was like, <laughs> she stopped him, and she was like, wait, like, can you explain to me his, your shirt? And she told, he told her the Bible verse, and she was explaining to him how my heart's been on DTS, and he full out told her, like, looks like you have to send your daughter to DTS. <laughs> so my mom, my mom told me, like, hey, like, we're going to do whatever it takes to raise the money, and we're going to send you to do DTS after my sophomore year. So after my sophomore year of college, I'm taking a break, and I'm doing a DTS. All right, so a little background real quick. Um, big part of my testimony is seeing smoke. First time I accepted, like, uh, I was, like, eight or nine, and, like, I, like, it was the first time I, like, truly understood the gospel. Um, the lady was preaching about that, I think it's in, in Corinthians, where uh, the tabernacle or whatever, I mean, not tabernacle, the somewhere was filled with so much smoke, they had to leave or something. And I saw smoke, like, a lot of smoke, like, behind the altar, like, in the windows and stuff. And it wasn't, like, something that people wouldn't notice. Like, it was a lot of smoke. And I truly believed that was, like, the Holy Spirit showing me, like, yeah, I'm here, right? And then a few years come by, and um, this is my third year at Joshua Generation. My first year, that's when I, like, uh, like, started a relationship with God. Like, understood, like, oh, he, like, really loves me. He wants to, like, get to know me, be my best friend, that kind of thing. Again, I saw smoke. And uh, then a few uh, then years back, like, whenever something really big happens in my life, I see smoke. And <laughs> so last, last week uh, during boot camp, we were, I was, like, pressing in, and there's this song we sing that goes, Commission my soul with the fire uncontrollable for this great cause to save the lost. And throughout the entire week, that was just my prayer. And I was just, like, pressing into that, thinking about it. And God gives, you, you know, God gives you that vision of smoke, and I open up my eyes, and I literally can't see anything in front of me. And I'm in a gymnasium like this, filled with everyone else. We have, like, 50 students here, and all I see is, like, two feet in front of me just full of smoke. And I close my eyes, and I can just still see smoke. And then God gives me a vision of heaven, because, like, earlier, like, during lunch, you're talking about, oh, how heaven must be, right? And I think it was a vision of heaven, but what I saw was I surf. And I didn't see who was on a board, but I saw a board coming down, and the water was like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, you know how they say, like, you can't explain the colors you see in heaven? That's why I believe it was heaven, right? But what's cool was he steps off the board and pushes off the water like a skateboard and, like, propels off, and it was just wicked cool. And <laughs> I just broke down crying. It was this amazing thing, and Yeah. Awesome. So we're going to do one more testimony, and then, uh, so yeah, come on up, Christy. This is Christy. Guys, these, these kids, I mean, they, just seeing the, the way they've been transformed these past couple weeks is, is so amazing. I'm so proud of you guys. Aw, love you guys. You're awesome. There you go. Hi, I'm Christy, and um, it's like, I'm 16, this is my first JG, and like, I really came... Like, God told me to come here, and I didn't know why, but, like, there's a lot of pain in my life, so I'm actually, like, healing, and, um, so God's, like, blessed me with a lot of visions and dreams, and I've had a lot since I've been here, and I want to share with you guys, like, one of the really powerful ones that stands out to me. So, like, um, I was in worship, and I had my eyes open, so, like, it's, like, it was a vision. It was like I was in a dark place, and I couldn't see anything. But I was, like, standing like this, and it was, it was pitch black. And um, there were chains and shackles all over me. And um, then this fire from heaven came down. I have this big old story with fire. But um, this fire from heaven came down. It was like a glow of an angel around it. And I reached up, and it, like, 
set me free of all the pain and darkness in my life, and, like, the chains were, like, broken. And, like, it's like he can deliver you from, like, all the pain if you just, like, reach out to him. And um, I had a, a dream before I came to G, J, <laughs> before I came to JG, that um, this dark cloud of, like, demons and everything was on top of me, and I was so scared. And this light, like, was just like, Christy, call out to me, and I'll, I'll save you. And, like, I, I reached out to it, and the dark cloud turned into doves. So, like, my prophetic word for you guys is, like, to just, like, reach up and give him everything. Like, cast your cares and your burdens on him, because he'll, he'll, like, take care of all of them. And just, he'll break you free of those chains and shackles if you just, like, reach up, you know? Wow. So we've, we had an, we've had an amazing uh, week so far. The past six days, we've been all over the city of Boston, preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus. This is only half of my team, uh, and then there's two other teams that have been on different areas of Boston. And so um, this team um, alone, we... Uh, just, just going throughout the city of Boston, we were able to see uh, over 400 people give our lives to Jesus. And it was just this amazing time where we just saw the fruit of our labors. And, man, it was all Jesus. Like I said, we're not like the best evangelist ever. We're not, we're not like the smartest people. We don't know the Bible the best. But, man, like when you just preach the gospel to someone, it's so simple. And it takes root in our heart, man. It's, it's amazing. And, and the gospel is powerful. It's not our word. So all glory to Jesus for that. Um, and so it was just an amazing, amazing time. So let's just pray before we get into the word. Lord, I just ask right now, God, that you would just... Uh, you just soften all of our hearts, Lord, that we'd leave this place different, God. We don't want to just say that. We actually want to leave here different. We don't want to just play church where it's just like a routine, God. But we want to actually, like, leave this place different today, Lord. We want to leave this place excited about evangelism. We want to leave this place passionate about lost souls. God, I pray that you just fill my mouth with your words, Lord, that I would just deliver your word your way this morning, God. All is for your glory, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. So if you want to turn, we're going to, first before, uh, I just want to lay a quick foundation in the Old Testament about evangelism in the Old Testament. Uh, so if you want to turn real quick with me to, oh man, we're going to turn to Genesis real quick. Uh, Genesis 12. So if you want to go there. And then we're going to jump into Daniel. Right after this, we're going to jump into Daniel um, 3 and 6. So you can just kind of be ready for that. I'm going to move kind of quickly. Um, so... Genesis 12, this is the call of Abram, and it says in Genesis 12, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham is called by God to leave his family to go out to a country he doesn't know, to, to, to leave everything behind him. You remember when Jesus said, you can't follow me unless you hate your mother, your father, unless you hate your, 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 your brother, your sister, you know, that whole bit. Like, that's like what he did here. And I love how he gets this amazing call from God. God says, you got to leave everything. And it doesn't say, and then Abraham interceded and asked the Lord if he really meant what he said. The next verse, what's it say? It says, so Abram went, verse 4, so Abram went. He just listened to him. And I love how it says, it says that you will be blessed so that you can be a blessing, guys. We are always, we are never to, to like be self, self-centered and focused on ourselves. The gospel is not really about us. Gospel, the gospel, salvation is God's first. And then, it's, and then we're like, we experience the byproduct of it. But the salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his. It's his salvation. You guys ever hear like, oh man, 
A lot of times we pray, Lord, let, restore the joy of my salvation, Lord, of my salvation. Fill me with joy from my It's not my salvation. It's, it's restore the joy, restore to me the joy of your salvation, God. It's a big lie that we, that we, we kind of follow and it kind of falls by the wayside and we listen to it that the salvation thing is all about us. But it's about the worthiness of the Lamb. It's that the Lamb deserves the reward of His suffering. It's about Him. And so I love that we, we, are, not, like, we are not to be self-focused. We are poured out into so that we can pour out to people. We will be blessed so that we can be a blessing. We're not to be blessed so we can just be blessed and that's it. We're blessed so we can be a blessing to others. So we can be a blessing to those that we work with. So we can be a blessing to those that we go to school with. Amen? We're not just blessed so we can sit in it and just like, yeah, this is a cool blessing. I love this blessing. No, like give it out and God will pour more into you. So let's turn quick to Psalm 67. You actually don't have to turn there. Um, I lied. Um, Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. So what the psalmist is crying out here, he's saying, Lord, let your face shine on me. Not not just so I can shine, so that the world may know your salvation. Shine on me, God, so that others may know you. Once again, he's not saying, Lord, shine on me so I can shine, so I can enjoy the shine of your face, so that I can enjoy everything. Did I just walk into that with a shine on my face? That was cool. I planned that. No, I didn't. He's saying, Lord, let your face shine on me so that others may see you, so that others may know your salvation. It's all about the Lamb. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's not about us. We're to be a blessing to others. So I'm going to turn right now. This is a story. These are going to be two stories that we, that we, we know very well, I'm sure. But I want to look at them from a different angle this morning. I want to look at them um, from the angle of what God was up to. What was he doing? And we're going to look at this in, in <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, we're going to see some things different this morning. I believe it. So in uh, Daniel 3, this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We all know it. So we're going to start with 3.1, and we're going to jump over to verse 17, and we're going to jump over to um, verse 27. So, Three one, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold sixty cubits high and six cubits wide, set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial gov- officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar that he had set up, and he stood before it, and they stood before it. So we know this story, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, he's like, he's like the king of kings on the earth. He's a powerful guy. He's dominating the world. And so what he does, he sets up this huge statue. And a little side note, I'm going to go down this short little goat path because I think it's really cool and you guys should know it. This isn't about what I'm talking about. But actually, about archaeology. Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a hard word. I totally butchered it. But the Bible, man, a lot of times we think, man, the Bible isn't true. But like archaeological finds it just proves the Bible. And here's one cool one about this story. In the plain of Dura, they actually found this huge like platform this huge base of where a statue would have been. And not only that, they found in these furnaces. You guys know the story how Nebuchadnezzar is so ticked. He's like heated up seven times hotter. Is that, is that it? Seven times hotter? I'm not sure. But he says heated up even more. They actually found these furnaces 
And, and the way they built them, they had them on this hill that they had like these, these, these things that angled that you could flush in the wind and make it hotter immediately. And then not only that, but on the side of the furnace, they, had this inscri- they found this inscription that says, here's the penalty for those who blaspheme. And so it fits right along with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's amazing um, that this word, that God gives us this word, and we can be confident that this is the word of God, that we don't have to worry that this has changed over time because it hasn't. We could do a whole other teaching on that, but that's for another day if you invite me back. We'll see how I do. Um, (laughs) Yes, you guys are awesome. I love you. Um, So we'll go to verse 17. So so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow down. All the the officials from all over the place, they they go to the king, they say, look, these guys aren't bowing down. What are you going to do with them? So Verse 17, here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responding to, to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship or image the gold you have set up. I love that. I love their boldness there. Confidence in the Lord that, that God has a plan, that God's up to something. That they don't just bow down. They say, look... Like, the God we serve, he'll rescue us from this. And if he doesn't, we're still not going to serve your God. So either way, I'm going to win. Um, I love that, that, that they have boldness there. Um, and so I want us to, to take note of, of all the people that, that are there at, the, at the, like the, 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 the statue, the opening day of the statue. I want us to take note of everyone that's there. So we're going to go to um, verse 27. So this is after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fire. The soldiers are burned up. Um, the one like the son of gods is seen in with them. The king Nebuchadnezzar is like, look, man, I thought I threw three people in there. Why is there four people in there? What's going on? He goes to the furnace. He's like, come on out, guys. Not a smell of fire is on him. We all know the story, right? So 20, in verse 27, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and they say, traps, the prefects, the governors. The, think, listen to this, 27. This is really important. This is the whole point of all of this. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So what was God up to in this story? Was he just testing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Was he, was he saying, I'm going to see if they're loyal and see if they really want to serve me? Maybe, but I think that, that he set up this, this point. He, he, Nebuchadnezzar was big and mighty. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to make this statue, and I believe that God sent all those people from all over the, all over the world, the, 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 the satraps, the governors, the prefects, the treasurers, all these people from all these different kingdoms, from all different walks of authority, they were all there. They were all there at, the, at, 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 this, at this opening day of the statue. And they get to see firsthand what God does, how God saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So from the very beginning, God is concerned with saving the lost. Maybe he was testing the loyalty of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I think that he, he set this appointment up so that all these people could see the signs and wonders of God. And I love this, this proclamation that Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar makes in 28. This is amazing, guys. He says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is the guy that just threw these guys in the fire, hated them, heat the fire up seven times more. Now he's saying, Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In an instant, God can change a circumstance. Amen? In an instant, the circumstance can be changed. It doesn't take long. His heart was changed in an instant. The hardest heart can be changed. This guy was so proudful. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and, res- and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship the God of their own. 
and worship a God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people, listen to this, this is wild. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For another God can save this way. So he makes this law, this proclamation, the mightiest king of kings over all these people from all these different kingdoms, from all these different walks of authority. He says, look, you guys saw with your own eyes what the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And I'm going to make this law. If you speak anything against them, you're going to be cut into pieces and your, and your house is going to be turned to rubble. And so let's, let's look at what God just did. He allowed them to go through this suffering, allowed them to go through this testing time so that he could be made famous, so that his name could be made famous to all these people, so that he could be made known. Signs and wonders. God is after the lost. And we see in this story, man, I've read that story so many times, but, but it just clicked. I was like, wow, this is what God was up to. He was after all, all those officials. He was after those prefects. He was after those, those civil generals. He was after those, he loved those guys. You know that, that, that God loves Osama bin Laden as much as he loves you? Do you know that? That it's not just like for you. I have to think about that sometimes. But think about the most intimate time you've ever been with Jesus. The time where you feel his love just bubbling up in you, just melting you. He feels that way towards all of us. He loves all of us. He was after those guys. They were lost. And he, he set up this time where they could see his glory, where they could see his signs, and they could see his wonders, and that they would have a chance to give our lives to him. It's an amazing story. We're going to go to Daniel and the, the Den of Lions. We all know this story, right? Daniel had this excellent spirit. He was getting promoted, promoted, pro, promoted above everybody else. These guys get jealous. They go, hey, hey, uh, hey King um, Darius, yeah. Hey, King Darius, um, you should make this law where nobody can worship any other god but you for 30 days. And they're trying to, like, sweet-talk the king. He's like, all right, cool, that's a pretty good law. I'm pretty cool. And so Daniel, though, like, they know that Daniel prays every day, three times a day in his window. So they're trying to trap him. And so he makes this law. He puts his ring, signet ring on it, and he seals it. And so when Daniel finds out, what's he do? Does he go hide in his closet and pray? No. Here's what he, here's what he does. Verse 10, 610, Daniel 610. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been, had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. Talk about no fear of man. You're going to be thrown into the den of lions. He still goes to the open window where everybody could see him and praise. Like, this guy was crazy. Daniel was probably about 84 years old here. Um, so he, he, was, like, he, he had walked his life with the Lord. He, he knew the Lord. He knew Jesus. He, he was, like, close to him. So he had, I mean, I, to be to that point where we have no fear of man anymore, where, where we're just fearful, where we just fear God, where we just revere God, to be able to do something this, this bold. Man, it's amazing. Lord, just give us that boldness, God. He went home, this upstairs window's, Upstairs room where the windows were opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he'd done before. So the people, they see him, they go, hey, King Darius, Daniel's praying. You made this law that you can't pray. So he throws him into the den of lions, even though he's distressed because he loves Daniel. He throws him in anyway. And he says, man, I pray that your God would save you. And so what does he do? God sends his angels to hold the mouths of the lions shut. We know the story. The next day, King Darius comes down. He goes, Daniel, Daniel, are you still alive? He says, yes, I was found blameless. I didn't die. The angels kept their mouths shut. I'm alive. And so what's Darius do? He goes, awesome. I'm so excited. Hey, you guys who tried to kill them, you get thrown in, your family gets thrown in, your kids, your wives, your children get thrown in, everybody gets thrown in the lines and they eat them. But then King Darius makes this great, um, this, sends out this letter to, to everybody uh, after he sees this. So he writes this letter, uh, verse 625, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, all the nations of every language in all the earth, he writes this letter, King Darius writes this letter to everyone, may you prosper greatly. 
I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and, and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdoms will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues. He saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He, is re- he rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So he writes this letter. What's God up to here? Again, is he just testing Daniel, seeing if Daniel is going to be steadfast, seeing if Daniel will, 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 will blaspheme and worship another God? Maybe. Maybe he was testing him. But I believe that, that God set up this time, he set up this appointment so that King Darius would see this, so that King Darius would see the glory of God, so that King Darius would see the might and the power of God, so that he would write this letter, this amazing proclamation, this amazing letter to all the kingdoms of the earth and saying, look, I, I found the true God. I found the one true God. Here he is. So God is all about the lost. He's all about the lost. That picture of, of the prodigal son when, when he's walking back after he squanders his inheritance and, and the father doesn't wait there with his arms crossed saying, man, like, what are you thinking? Why'd you leave? You're so stupid. I can't believe that you would leave. Come on back. No, he runs to him. He meets him there and he embraces him. That's the God we serve. He's concerned with the lost. He loves us. He loves the lost so much. That's his heart, man. Carpet, look what you guys did. Believe that? Disappointed in you. No. Um, and then also in Jonah, guys, we have, uh, no, nah, we're not going to do Jonah. No Jonah today. <laughs> Just so you know, it's super hip, got a tablet. It's crazy. I'm totally, I'm totally, like, I'm horrible with technology, so, like, it just turns sideways. So if I mess up, have grace with me. Don't stone me. Um, so guys, I wanted to lay that foundation so we would see that, that evangelism has always been there. Um, that What time are we ending again, Pastor? Sorry. Okay, awesome. Evangelism has always been there. We have that foundation now. Um, but why should we evangelize? I've kind of sectioned it off into three different, three different parts. Um, one second. Grace, throw some grace at me. One second. Yes. I love it. I did the... The screen goes dark in 15 seconds, so I just changed to 30 minutes, so it'll stay light the whole time, so I'll see what I'm looking at, just so you guys know what I'm doing, and I'm on Facebook. <laughs> um, so why do we evangelize? Why do we tell people about the lost? And if we don't, why should we? The, the number one reason, the number one reason we go out is on God's behalf. It's because the lamb, like I said earlier, the lamb deserves the reward of his suffering. When you pay for something, you deserve that. When you buy something, you, you deserve that. If I go to a store and I buy, I go to Subway and I buy a sub, and I buy it, and they don't give it to me, I'm going to be like, I, I bought that. I deserve that. And so Jesus, every one of you, everyone we see, all of you, everyone we see out there, he paid the price for our lives. He bought us. He deserves our lives. We can't go out and elevate the sinner and say, look, why don't you come to Jesus and escape the, the fires of hell and then come and, and come and I have this self-help program for you. It's called the gospel. It's going to fix your life. No, no, it's not like that at all. It's that Jesus is worthy of every lost soul. Jesus is worthy of everyone. We elevate the sinner. We focus on the worthiness of the sinner and we turn the gospel on its head and it's not like that at all. Salvation is God's. God came up with them. It's his plan of redemption. So we go out and we tell people about Jesus because he's worthy of every soul. He's worthy of them. He bought them. He paid a price for them. God could have, could have evangelized anyway. He could have, when we were all five years old, 
He could have given us a vision saying, I am Jesus, I saved you, I died for you, accept me, I'm the one true God. But he doesn't do that. He chooses to use all of us. Why does he do that? I don't know, but it's awesome. We get to share the gospel with people. He chooses to use us to preach the gospel. So if we don't do it, if you guys don't do it, who's going to do it? No one. The gospel, the pre- evangelism is one of the most opinionated practices in Christianity, but it's the least practiced by far. Everybody has an opinion on it. Everybody says this is the way to do it. Everybody says this is how you shouldn't do it. Everybody looks like that woman at D.L. Moody and saying that's the wrong way to do it. But she wasn't doing it. So if we don't do it, guys, nobody's going to do it. There's a statistic that 98% of Christians in the last six months in the last six months, haven't told anybody about Jesus. There's a statistic that 95% of all Christians have never won somebody to the Lord. So if the gospel is really good news, if we really believe it's good news, then why aren't we telling people about it? Is it really good news to you today? Lord, I pray, God, that it would be good news to us. That it would be good news to us again. That that time where, that time, that moment where we, like, we understood that Jesus was Lord, that he died for our sins, that that moment where we saw like, our, the enormity of our sins in light of his glory, when we saw that and, and we accepted him, that revelation we had, I pray that we'd have a deeper revelation. The gospel is such good news, guys, and everybody needs to hear it. There's a story of these Moravian, missionary, Moravian missionaries from Hernhut, Germany, and they heard of these 3,000 African slaves in the West Indies. This is in 1700. And they heard of these guys, and, and the, the owner of the slaves was this atheist British colony owner. And he said, I'm not going to let any preacher come here to tell, tell him about Jesus. I'm not going to let any clergyman come here. Uh, I'm done with God. He's not real. 3,000 missionaries that are going to live and die without hearing about God. Without hearing about Jesus, without hearing that their debt has been paid for. These two Moravian missionary boys, they heard about this, and it stirred. they were so stirred that they actually acted upon it. I want to tell you that sympathy is no substitute for action. You can feel bad about someone, but if you don't do something, it's, it, don't even feel bad about them. You can say, oh, man, I'm so sorry that there's 2.9 billion people that don't know about Jesus. I feel so bad that there's 7,000 unreached people groups. I'm so, I'm so sad that 66,000 people every day go to hell. I'm so sad and sit there and, and, and sit in sackcloth and ash. But unless you actually go out and do something, those are all for naught. Don't even feel bad because it's garbage. If you don't actually go out and act upon it, then it's nothing. Why feel bad? It doesn't do anything. So these two Moravian missionaries, they sold themselves into slavery. They sold themselves to this guy, and he wouldn't even pay them, uh, he wouldn't even pay them an, like any, any more than he would pay a, a, a normal slave. And so the money that they got that he, that he bought them with, they, they bought their ticket to go over there, their boat to go over to the island. And this wasn't like a four-year term. This wasn't like a two-month term. This was lifetime slavery to be Christians where there were no Christians, to be light where there was no light. So they went over there, and they sold themselves into slavery. And what they did as they were leaving, they were at the harbor, and their boat was going away. And, and as their parents and, and their family were standing on the shore, and they were weeping and wailing because they knew that they'd never see their son, they'd never see their daughter, their, their, their brother again. This is the last time they see him. And as the boat w- was distanced from the shore, the last thing they heard him say were the two guys with their arms locked together. They said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. They had it, man. They weren't looking for recognition. They were looking for God to receive his glory. They were looking for Jesus to receive his reward. They sold themselves into lifetime slavery, guys. I want you guys to know, oh, grace, throw me some Grace. Yes. Yes. It worked. Man, can we carry the gospel like it's good news? Is it good news? Is it good news what Jesus did for us? Such good news, guys. Man. Let me just see what I want to share. Man, it's super fun, isn't it, to 
to talk and dream about revival, to hear about it. Lauren Cunningham, who started Youth of the Mission, said in the next seven years, more people are going to be saved um, than in all church history combined. Reinhard Bonnke, who had these amazing, fruitful uh, revivals in Nigeria, saw millions come to know Jesus. He said that all of America will be saved. But I want to tell you something. Those are awesome. Those are awesome to, to dream about. Those are awesome to, to write in your journals about. Those are awesome to like pray about. But if we sit back and we apathetically sit down and, and, and we don't actually act upon it, revival will never come. If we just sit back and we just, sit, we just say, yeah, I hope it comes. And it's easy to get caught in the sensationalism of revival. It's easy to get caught in the sensationalism of it and getting so excited and jumping up and down in a cool worship service and being really excited. But it's, it's those days where, where, it's the two, where, it's, where it's just you, like the Moravian missionaries, like they were so stirred. Unless it takes root in your heart, unless God actually stirs your heart for the lost, when that day comes where you actually have to sell yourself into slavery, you're not going to do it. You won't do it. And, and it's my prayer that we'd all be stirred here. You guys are all soul winners, all of you. You're soul winners. Say, I'm a soul winner and believe it. Say, I'm a soul winner. I'm a soul winner. Just say it. I believe I'm a soul winner. I really believe it. You guys really are soul winners. I really believe it. And Philemon 6 says, I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you may know every good thing we have in Jesus. Man, there's a way that we can experience God that we can't experience when we evangelize, when we tell people about Jesus, that we can't experience him when we're in our room on our knees praying. Do, yeah, is the importance of prayer, the importance of intercession is 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 so amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. The importance of worship is so important. It really is. The marriage of missions and prayer movement together is going to be a powerful thing. It's going to usher in the kingdom of God. It's going to hasten the return of our Lord Jesus. Um, it's going to be amazing. But there's a way that we can experience God when we're evangelizing, when we're telling people about Jesus, that we just can't do it when we're not. There's, there's a part of his heart that we, that we get when we're telling someone about Jesus that we just can't get when we're, when we're by ourselves playing, playing guitar, worshiping the Lord. Are those times awesome? Yeah, they're great. They're amazing. But God has something so, so much more for you guys. He wants to like put this passion in your heart for you guys to, to, to tell the lost about him. Motivated not by recognition, motivated not by like numbers, not saying, oh, I can't wait, I want to save this many people. Motivated not by anything else except that I want to see Jesus receive his reward. That's all it is. Not that, oh, I want to see this sinner saved from hell. I don't want him to go to hell. Yeah, we don't want him to go to hell because it's horrible, but most of all, we want to see Jesus receive his reward. That's what we're motivated by, guys. I really believe that you guys all here can be, can be soul winners. Oh, I don't have an evangelism gift. It doesn't matter. The, the, my whole team, we have like 60 people. Not all of them are, are these fiery evangelists. But what they, what, they do, what they do do is they step out boldly. You're not always going to want to share the gospel. There's a lot of times where I don't want to share the gospel, where I'm like fearful, where I, where I don't want to do it. But guys, the gospel is for everyone. Who likes to hear good news here? Yes. yes. It's a little bit better than the fish when I asked about fishermen. That was good. Almost everybody did. Wonderful. So if everybody likes to hear good news, the gospel is good news, right? So everybody wants to hear it. I don't care how hard their heart is, they want to hear the gospel. They want to hear it. And what we do oftentimes is we qualify that person, see if they're ready to hear the gospel. We look at someone and we say, well, I heard that person talk about how they party all the time. This person, you know, they swear all the time. This person, I know their lifestyle, so they probably don't want to hear the gospel. But guys, everybody wants to hear gospel. Deep within their hearts, they're crying out for God. They're crying out because they, they know that this world doesn't satisfy them. Maybe they don't know it yet, but in their hearts, they're crying out for it. The gospel is for everyone. We need to stop judging people and saying, this person isn't fit for the gospel. This person isn't ready for the gospel. Jesus is, is the, 
He's so great. He's the best thing ever. He's amazing. The gospel is the best news ever. Lord, let just, I just pray that we would just like feel how good the gospel is, that we'd have a fresh revelation of the gospel right now of what Jesus did for us. It's so amazing that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life for us. God, he's the only God in any religion that actually comes after us first. Every other religion, we fix the table and try to give it to God. Here's what I can offer you, God. God says, I don't want that. It's not enough. I'm going to send myself to come to this earth and die for you. It's the only, it's the only religion where God pursues man. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's so good. And so the gospel is for everyone. I want us to believe that, that you guys can all make an impact. You guys all have your own arena. I work full-time for, uh, for a missionary organization called Youth of the Mission Pittsburgh. Um, you guys are missionaries too. We're called to live a life of a missionary. I, it doesn't matter if you're a banker. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom. You're a soul winner, and you can affect the arena that God has placed you in right now. And you don't have to have words of eloquence. You don't have to have, like, uh, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be, like, uh, know every apologetic thing. You don't have to know um, the Bible in and out. What did Paul say? I preach Christ and Him crucified. It's really simple, guys. It's really simple. But will you be stirred? Like, will you actually be stirred to, to do it? Will you actually be stirred to action? How long are you going to let these prophetic dreams and visions and blueprints be written in your journals before you actually act out upon them? How long are you going to write these dreams of yours in your journals and let them sit there collecting dust on a shelf before you actually act out upon them? Man, God wants to bless you as you step out in boldness. He wants to bless you as you step out, guys. You guys are all soul winners. Man, I could talk forever. Two minutes past, so I'm just going to call you up, Pastor. And, and guys, I, I, uh, I really believe, man, that, yeah, well, yeah, one more second. I really believe, man, that, that like the mantle of, of wild-eyed evangelism, hearts, you, well, I don't even know how to phrase it, but I really believe that today you guys can leave change, that you can leave passionate about the lost souls, that you don't have to lay dormant in your workplace anymore, you don't have to lay dormant in your college dorms anymore, you don't have to lay dormant in your house anywhere. I believe that you can leave this place salty and so full of light that the world can see you, because that's what we're called to do. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to like live our whole lives and, not, and our boss doesn't even know we're a Christian. I believe that you can leave today um, really like that salt and that light. And guys, why I'm in Boston, I, like we could do a whole training all day and like skip lunch and fast and it would be awesome and spiritual, but we're going to end it. Um, but I, I really, like why I'm in Boston, they do a, a school of, uh, of evangel- or they, evangelism training um, and they're awesome. I'm actually from Pittsburgh, so I'm leaving tomorrow, but they do the school of evangelism for churches. If any of you guys would like to be equipped in practical ways how to share your faith, it would be awesome. But guys, I really hope that if, we, I really believe that when we, when the gospel is actually good news to us, when we carry it like it's good news, and we don't like carry it like it's a burden, like, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, you don't drink, yeah, I'm a Christian, man. I'm a Christian, yeah. It's like, no, like, Christianity's fun. It's not hard to be a Christian, it's hard not to be a Christian. And so I believe, guys, that, that you guys will have revelations of how good the gospel is, and you carry it when you believe it's actually good, when it's fresh in your heart, you'll want to share it with people, um, because the Lamb deserves the reward of His suffering. Um, but come on up, Pastor. Amen.